Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. Are you looking for practical ministry help to drive your ministry further, faster? Have a sinking feeling that your ministry training didn't prepare you for the real world? Hey, you're not alone. Join thousands of others in pursuit of stuff that we wish they had taught in seminary. Buckle up and let's get started with this week's Unseminary Podcast. All right, well, welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. Happy Thursday, everybody. Hopefully, you're having a great week. We are in for a real treat today. You know, we've got uh, Krista Hesselink, the compassion pastor from the Meeting House. Now, the Meeting House, I just full disclosure, it's a church I used to work at. And Krista's an incredible leader, and I am just so thankful to have her on the phone, on the call today. So, Krista, welcome. Thank you. Good to see you, Rich. Yes, uh, it's great being here. Ah, it's so nice to have you here. I really, uh, really appreciate that. You know, truth be known, I've been trying to get multiple people from the Meeting House to come on to the podcast, and no one has said yes except for you. So really, I, I know, isn't it crazy? So I maybe it's you know it's that whole black sheep crazy? thing. Crazy, you know? I once guess you, so. <laughs> once you I leave. know. But you're compassionate, so you're like, yes, exactly. I will take compassionate on Rich and uh, join the show. Exactly. Uh, just kidding. For people that don't know, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, the Meeting House? Tell us about you know your church, your context. Yeah, yeah. Give us a sense of it. Yep. So we're a multi-site church located in Ontario, Canada, and we have 14 locations um, with a few teaching venues. We've been at it for a while. We I have our first uh, site launched in 2002, and... Uh, yeah, we have about 6,000 people who would participate on a weekend service. Um, our heartbeat is our home churches, so we have 185 home churches that meet across all our locations. And um, Yeah, that's a little bit about the meeting house. Nice. <laughs> I don't know what else you want me to say. You, you, <laughs> no, know, you, know, you know a lot. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. You know, the meeting house is a great church. For people who haven't checked out uh, the meeting house, you really need to. Uh, TheMeetingHouse.com. There's a lot of people who um, the Meeting House, like from a, purely from a multi-site point of view, is like within the kind of one percent. They, you know, you guys have campuses over an hour away. You know, you just breezed over the fact that you have mid-teens number of campuses. You know, 85% of multi-site churches don't get beyond three, and you're like, well, we might launch three this year. So, you know, it's uh, it's a really it's a fantastic church for a lot of reasons. Um, and actually, I think what we're talking about today. Um, is I, I think is the kind of thing that churches all across the country um, can learn from. So I'm I'm super excited to have you you know on the phone today talking through now. Now one of the things so you've kind of as a church you've gone through these multiple waves of kind of you know you know various missions and there's always kind of a compassion component to that. Um, and one of the things I love about uh, the meeting house is it, well, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? So what kind of give us a sense of kind of the compassion work that you've been doing at your sure. church? Sure. Sure. Well, it actually hasn't always been a part of our DNA at all. So in about 2006, we really felt the Lord sort of moving us in a direction of, you know, yes, we want lots of people to hear about Jesus and come to know him. We want lots of our own people to go deeper in their own journey. But, man, we need to really figure this compassion thing out, um, both locally and globally. So we, uh, in 2006, were a part of a real discernment process in our whole community. Rich, you're part of that. So we... Um, we, for multiple reasons, really felt that we were being drawn to the work that's being done um, in, in Southern Africa, in the countries of Southern Africa around the HIV needs pandemic. And part of that was just because of our own denomination. Uh, we have a lot of Brethren in Christ people in Southern Africa. So that started the journey for us. And it's been, I can't believe it's been like seven, eight years now where every, every year we just keep growing deeper in this. And so over the course of our last two missions, like you said, 
we have uh, really had pretty audacious goals in terms of raising funds, but also to build meaningful relationships with um, our partners and, and, our, and the people in Southern Africa. One of the things I appreciate, uh, you know, about you specifically, uh, you know, as a leader, and then also, you know, the church as a whole is, um, you know, you really emphasize, you know, that there really isn't an us and them, and actually, you you breeze over the word partner, um, which I think a lot of like we just listen. A lot of guys that work and people that work in churches, they're communicators, and they use a word like partner um, right. because that sounds good. Uh, mm -hmm. But but what I think what you're pushing towards is at a much deeper level. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. One of the things that um, I think has been a driving force for our global compassion engagement, for lack of a better way of saying it, is that we want the relationships that we establish um, to be mutually transformative. And again, that's sort of like a, a hot word in the development world. But what we know to be true is that the historical approach of North American mission in the church, um, you know, we have a pretty bad track record. Right. <laughs> and, and so uh, there's been this very heavy hand of us versus them, the West, you know, giving to them. They have nothing really to give to us. And that is just not true. And so we've really tried to take the approach of the posture of a learner, um, the posture that the body of Christ has many gifts to give one another. And those who happen to live in the global South have incredible gifts to give us. Um, and so how do we create uh, how do we create a relationship and a way of support that respects that and sort of champions those values? So that is there, we've done that in a few different ways, but that is essentially the heartbeat that we really wanted to help our people grow in maturity um, in this aspect, but then also that our whole strategic plan holds that value very, very high. I'd, I'd love to hear more about that. So how okay. is it that you're, you know, kind of how, so that's the problem you've defined. Yeah. Okay, this is how we're trying to, mm -hmm. um, you know, we're trying to do. So what does that actually practically look like? How is it that uh, your church is developing relationships, you know, mm -hmm. with people in the global south? Yeah. Well, I think there's probably three key ways. I think one of the ways that we just end up having this seep into our DNA is that we're, we always talk about it like this. We, we always talk about the fact that we have so much to learn from our brothers and sisters, that uh, they have gifts to give us. And so whether we're teaching, whether we're training our, our leaders, whenever we're in this conversation, this is, this is the sort of language that we use, and we model that and try and help our people understand and grow in that. So that's just sort of the blanket. But right. um, the two, I think, most practical aspects of our work is we, we don't pretend to know what we're doing on the ground in Southern Africa. We are a <laughs> church in the greater Toronto area, and while we may have people on staff who have development experience, we don't know the context. So we are purposefully partnering with, with third parties. We're purposely partnering with other partners who have a long history, uh, respected work on the ground in Southern Africa. So the two partners we're, we're working with most significantly is Mennonite Central Committee, MCC, mm -hmm. and World Vision. Um, Mennonite Central Committee since 2007 and then just in the last year and a half, two years, we've sort of started to work with World Vision. So those were natural partners for us, but that came out of a, a very significant discernment process. And so we basically, we don't dictate the work that's happening. You know, we may, we may have millions and millions of dollars to give, but we take a very light-handed approach to say, we want you to do the work. 
uh, MCC World Vision. And some churches and some constituents have actually, that's, that's been a growing process for us because some people say, no, I want to know that right. my name is on that well. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, that, that sort of approach. And we've said, nope, we're going to raise millions of dollars and we're going to do the work to trust our partners and they're going to do the work to report back meaningfully. Um, so that's one very significant way where we just say, we're not the experts, they are, and and we will let the relationships they've cultivated on the ground actually really serve us well as a community. Why don't we just pause for a minute and talk about how you ended up developing those relationships with those mm -hmm. you know third parties. What did that look like? Kind of how did that you know discernment process or how did you end up deciding on MCC and then mm -hmm. World Vision, both great organizations, yeah. but how, how did you end up there? Yeah, well, like I said, our denomination is the Brethren in Christ, and a large portion, in fact, far greater than North America, um, there's Brethren in Christ folk in the countries of Southern Africa. Um, MCC, Mennonite Central Committee, is the Relief and Development Organization of Anabaptist Churches, which the Meeting House is an Anabaptist Church. Well, Peace Church, however you want to say that. Um, and so when we were on the ground, we sent a, a couple, uh, Joel and Julianne, good friends of ours, um, to to live in Zimbabwe and to do that research real time on the ground and so that was an investment of time and resources in order to do that investigative work and they basically after nine months came back with some recommendations of what organizations at this point in our church family and the at the situation on the ground would be the best partners and that you know that was a, just a discernment process that we went through so we knew we needed to find a partner and that came back. Now, Joel and Julian also said, you know what, we can see there being some great possibilities with World Vision on the ground in the future as well as a good fit. Um, but we knew that for us taking that first step out of the gate in 07, that we needed to, to take one partnership. So we did that with Mennonite Central Committee, and we're, we've been continuing to grow that. But then in the last couple of years, we've realized, um, you know, we have opportunities to grow. Our, our community has grown in sort of becoming more generous as a result of us focusing ourselves, which has been wonderful. And so we knew that we had the opportunity to go even beyond what MCC was uh, able to do with us. Right. Um, one of the reasons why we chose MCC, or sorry, World Vision was MCC at the time was not working in the country of Malawi. Mm. And there is a very significant Brethren in Christ Church contingency in Malawi. Right. And so we were looking for a partner that was a good fit for us in Malawi. And so World Vision... Um, happens to be the partner that we work with mm -hmm. and as a result we've um, we've had some really neat things happen uh, you know over 1800 children have been sponsored wow yeah amazing. in in just amazing. a year and a half and so it's just really really amazing to see and I think that just um, has come out of our focus over the years so that you know when we when we say here's a here's a need and here's a way we want to build a relationship our, our people just are responding and it's a right. really amazing thing so well you know I um, I don't want people to miss an early stage and it could be because that was a part of the story that I was yeah. involved in yeah yeah but, but when when you know Joel and Julianne left for you know those nine months um, that may sound like if you're listening on the outside like oh so they took some people who were kind of you know oh, they weren't really that involved and sent them out mm. um, no Joel and Julianne were and, and at that point and they're still you know they're yeah. not on staff anymore but were yeah. significant leaders in the in the life of the church mm -hmm. um, and it was a little bit like you know lopping off your left arm and saying okay you go to Africa for a year and help us figure that stuff out um, it was a it was a significant sacrifice um, mm -hmm. organizationally which which you know, when I look back over the you know my, or the 
arc of my ministry life, that's one of those, and I obviously wasn't, like I was one piece of the, one person in that conversation. Sure. But it was one of those things that I was like super proud that our church did that, that it was like, man, that was the right thing to do. We're going to take time to just listen, and yeah. we're going to send a significant leader to just listen and to learn. Um, it was amazing. Well, and you know what I think, too, back to that time, it, which reminds me now just how much God has taken our community from sort of A to B, is mm -hmm. people I don't even think really knew what we were doing. I mean, they sort of right. were like, oh, okay, there's, someone's going to Africa. It's Joel. Right. We know Joel and Julianne. Okay, great. Like, yeah. our, that was just this whole um, connection with Southern Africa and sort right. of our global engagement on a compassion front, completely non-existent. Quite right. honestly, so it was like it was like the non-conversation. We often remind people, it's like when we started this, we, no one had a clue who MCC was. In fact, right. we would never even say MCC. Right. And now people are like, it's it's common language for us. Part of who you are. Absolutely. And you know, one of the things that was interesting, which it, which I think you're just because you're a good Canadian like myself, you're you're being you know we sent Joel and Julianne or the, Joel and Julianne went with a certain kind of there were some assumptions that we made about organizations we may end up partnering with, mm. um, and actually from learning on the ground um, we ended up not ending we ended up with MCC not the organization that we thought we'd end up with, um, which was an interesting you know that was interesting to be a part of mm -hmm. and it reinforced to me the value of on the ground. A long-term on-the-ground evaluation, mm -hmm. which which was really seeking to listen and to learn, and to, like you're saying, posturing yourself. Hey, how can we learn from folks? Mm -hmm. We realize, you know what? Actually, MCC would be the better organization for you know for the meeting house to partner with. That was um, that was great. So that, that's that's an interesting takeaway for churches that might be listening. In. Yeah, I think if if we are really serious about um, about repositioning the church and mission. We need to understand that we're not experts right. generally. I mean, we can grow into becoming experts, but we're certainly not at, out of the gate. And there are, are organizations who have consistent, long-term history and relationship on the ground. And right. I think that's the only way that we should be engaging ourselves um, in another place around the world. So, so yeah, that that that's a significant one. And then, of course, our learning teams, I think, are probably uh, another significant part of of sort of framing the conversation. So. Yeah, tell, tell us about the learning teams. What is that? Yeah, I would say we have two different types of learning teams. One is um, us creating a learning team in Canada and sending a team to Southern Africa. And then the other one is a sort of the reverse experience, which we call exchange. And I'll talk about that in more detail in a second. But mm -hmm. learning teams, I mean, we're a, let's say we're a church of 6,000 people. We send about 12 individuals over from our community in a year right. to learn. So. We are not a. We do not um, send teams en masse. We don't mm -hmm. do any mission work in terms of going and building things or. Right. We don't just do that. We we would say no. Our our partners are actually doing the work on the ground. We're we're not going over to build anything or you know proselytize. We're literally right. going to to learn. Right. Um. Because the partners on the ground are doing all of those things. And so, uh, yeah, we have a, a we kind of treat it like it's a class. Like people are signing up and paying tuition in a way to go. Oh, that's the way we that's the way we frame it. We would say, you know, it's about a thirty five hundred dollar experience, and you're going to be going for two weeks, and we train and we we study together and we learn. And so that the sole purpose of these trips is that people go and then they return to be advocates in our community. So the recruitment mm -hmm. process and the entire training experience is really about when they return. 
right. they commit to being advocates for a year in our community. Um, and, and admittedly, like this is probably um, some of the, the areas where we've learned a lot and we need to continue to learn a lot. I mean, I would say we're not, we haven't quite hit our stride in terms of the good advocacy work that's coming out of these guys, but Right. But really, to be quite honest, it, it, that is the whole purpose. We choose people knowing that they have ne networks in our community. Of course, we're multi-sites, so we try to get people from different sites. Mm -hmm. And so when we have um, sort of like a, a campaign like we're in right now called AIDS Care, um, you know, these, these advocates are so helpful because they're the, they're the people from our community who lived and learned and have stories and experience and relationship. The other reason why we do learning teams is because we have this value of building relationships. So when we go, um, even though it might not be the same people, we will have two learning teams a year go to these same partners, to these you know connection with MCC staff, and right. and so the meeting house as a as a name is actually somewhat familiar to many people. Mm. You know, oh, I met your friend last year, and and right. so it's it's neat for us to continue to use these learning teams to build relationships, but. Um, but that, yeah, that, that's one. And then exchange. You want me to talk about exchange? Absolutely, yeah. For okay, sure. so I, I'm like literally in the middle of a very exciting <laughs> season at, at, at a church. Exchange is a reverse learning team. It's where our partners in Southern Africa have um, handpicked leaders in their context to come to Canada for two weeks to learn, to share, and to build relationships. So. Uh, we have a gentleman from World Vision Community. We have two who represent programs and partners with MCC, and then one pastor from the Brethren in Christ Church in Malawi. And so these four guys landed a week ago. Uh, we have so much snow right now here, and they've never <laughs> seen it that it's the perfect time for them to arrive. <laughs> wow, landed right in the middle of the polar vortex. <laughs> yes, and they, this is the word that they use that they're like, it's so unique. <laughs> that would be one. That would be one yeah. word. Anyway, so. We did this for the first time in 2010, and I would say, um, as I reflect back, this is that was having a team from Southern Africa come to the meeting house, spend two weeks with us. We do events where people can learn and ask questions, and was probably the most significant event to sort of turn the lights on for our community. Hmm. So we had been talking for about three years. You know, we've been raising money, we've been highlighting the HIV and AIDS pandemic, we've been trying to introduce our community to certain partners. And it was like this event in sort of mid-mission mm -hmm. turned the lights on for everybody. It was like, oh, oh, okay. And so for us, it was just an invaluable thing. We really wanted to do it again last year, right. and we had to cancel this whole experience. You can imagine if any anybody's listening and you you know you're working on something like this, a whole two weeks of having right. a team come, um, and we had to cancel it four days before because oh, visas. Uh, they had major visa problems, and we were just really hoping and praying that it would come through, and it didn't. So, oh my goodness! So we were supposed to do it last year, um, didn't happen, and so we planned it for this year. So these guys have been on the ground. They went skating for the first time yesterday. They're <laughs> they're at Niagara Falls today. They were up to oh, CN wow. Tower. So oh, it, it's it's been really great. And so we've had a few events this week, and our community again is just, you know really impacted. So. Now what would you, uh, I, this was the thing that caught my attention that I'm like, okay, I've got to get Krista on the on the podcast because yeah. I, I don't think I've ever heard of, I don't know any church that's done that. Like I don't, and there's a lot of things that the meeting has done that I've always been like, I don't know anybody that does that. Um, and this, this is one of those things. What would you say are the kind of two or three things that have kind of, you know, that you learned from 2010 uh, that you're applying to this year, you know, that are kind of having an impact in, um, you know, with your community as, you, you know, as these guys are visiting with, you know, various yeah. kind of people. 
It's a great question. I, I think we're, yeah, we're, I'm still right in the middle of seeing if what we thought we needed to change is actually working. <laughs> right, right. But uh, when one of the thing I, one things that happened in 2010 that we didn't plan for and it was unexpected was that the leaders who came had a, uh, what's the best way to say it? They really came with, I would say, prophetic words for our church. Hmm. And we didn't, and I don't think they expected it, and we certainly didn't expect it either. But in the in the course of those two weeks that we spent together, and the conversations we were having, and the and the ways in which we were, ha you know, just talking with one another and praying with one another, you know, that last day, but just before they caught their plane, I think we were all as senior leaders quite uh, like, well, this is like a holy moment here <laughs> because really? what they're sharing just with us is actually significant for us in terms of affirmation of what we're doing. Um, encouragement on, on the message that we're, we're speaking and just continuing to, to challenge us essentially as North American Christians. Right. So that was really significant. So I think what we're doing this time is we're actually inviting them, giving them more space and right. freedom and permission to share that. You know, uh, if anyone um, has interacted with brothers and sisters in Southern Africa, you know, there's a little bit of a reservation to want to share. Um, we want to really try and even out any power differential between us and them. And so mm -hmm. it, we have to try and create better space for them to share that sort of work with us. So what we're doing at all of our events and then with our senior leadership team is just actually giving them ample opportunities to share and to create a space where that sort of conversation happens. Right. So, so far, so good, you know. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, we also... We've jam-packed the schedule way too much last time. I mean, <laughs> just way too much. So this time, it still feels jam-packed, but it's much more appropriate for their right. schedule. Well, and there's and there's like anyone who, you know, if if you've had an opportunity to go on a learning trip, you know, a lot of times that is like a once-in-a-lifetime experience for folks. Yeah. And um, you know, I know, and I've been on a few experiences like that. There's always the like scheduled stuff that's interesting, but to mm -hmm. be honest, most of my takeaways have been in the cracks, right? It's yeah. been talking with someone. It's been, you know, I remember back um, when I was on a learning trip with um, the Meeting House back in, I guess that would have been 2007. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, the things I remember, there was interesting. All the stuff we had planned was interesting, right? But but there were interactions with individuals that weren't really planned, that made such a huge difference. And obviously, you, you know, you want to, that I still take that, to be honest, those are the things I remember most, you know, these yeah. years later, um, more so than the, like, you know, we went to this place and visited yeah. and someone gave a speech and, you know, then we said a few things or whatever. Um, yeah, and we, we're, we're, that's exactly right. And we're applying that so that there are, is more breathing space, but that more of our community mm -hmm. is a part of that breathing space with them. So, for example, right. we'll have, we've done a better job this time around of creating um, ways in which you can um, just have, have a meal or have a cup of tea with this team. Right. And, and so it's casual, but we're inviting more of our leaders and volunteers into that experience. So that was another learning that we had from the last Cool. Time. Yeah. 
Well, anything else you'd love to uh, share with people about this? Uh, you know, just this whole area. I, I think, you know, I think you're obviously an incredibly sharp leader, and I think you're you're thinking and pushing a lot of people who are listening in today who have thought about it. Just to be honest, in a really traditional, um, you know, way. I think there's a lot of church leaders who think. Um, you know, we're going to go and do a missions trip in this country. We, we're going to solve this problem. Um, and I really appreciate you pushing us on that today in a very gracious way. Um, but is there anything else you'd love to kind of share with us as we kind of wrap up this interview? Uh, well, just to say that we're still learning. I mean, we, we have lots to learn. And uh, I think the one thing I've enjoyed seeing the most is that our community, I would say, has 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 deepened and grown in maturity mm. as it relates to giving and mm. understanding that in order to give generously that something must change and that l their life must simplify in some ways mm. you know mm. um, live simply give generously that's sort of adage and I we, we've I think that's the one thing that we've learned is if, if you can help people in their own personal journey mm -hmm. with Jesus sort of do that simplification work, that heart work, that the generosity will flow, and that this approach of a posture of a learner working with third parties, you end up really discipling very mature donors in a way. Mm, interesting. And I, I think that is such a beautiful thing that, you know, our community can literally just, tr has, been, has been groomed to trust the work that partners are doing because we do a good job of connecting with our partners right. and we just say let's give let's let's raise a million bucks it's like okay <laughs> let's right. do that right. and they're 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 not really asking for you know play by play reports and we don't need to give that to them right. in in the same way that I think we would have if we'd taken a little bit of a different approach so right very Anyways, cool. that's, we're learning lots <laughs> thanks so much this is the Unseminary Podcast. Stuff you wish they taught in seminary. All right. Well, welcome to the lightning round. We're here today with Krista Hesselink from The Meeting House. And so, Krista, is there an online resource that you're using these days that's particularly helpful for you? Yes. I made the decision that I would go paperless a year ago. Wow. Like, completely paperless. Oh, my it's, goodness. It's been crazy. It's been a, it was a journey, but I needed to figure out what to use. So, Evernote and Productive are the okay. two apps that have saved my life. Nice. Now, Productive, I don't know that one. Give you know that. what? It's like a little to-do list thing. Okay. It's basically an easy way to connect your to-do list. I know Evernote does something like that, and, and I'm, I just ended up using both of them, and now I sort of... Yeah, you have a system. It works well. Yeah, I love the fact that it's web-based, and I can do it from my phone and my computer, so... Nice. That's very yeah. good. Yeah. Um, what's a book that you've been reading, I don't know, maybe in the last six months or so, that's having an impact on your thinking or your ministry? Yep, uh, Icarus Deception by Seth Godin. I read in the summer, I believe, and uh, I just love how he frames that everyone's an artist. That art, art is about connection, mm -hmm. and you need to take risk. And so that I, that's been playing out in my personal life, in my work life, um, in lots of different ways. But I, I needed to read it again because it was so good. <laughs> very, very cool. Uh, what's a uh, what's another ministry uh, that you're you know that you're looking at that kind of inspires you? You think, wow, like that um, we're learning from these days. Yep, uh, Ryan and George at Eastlake Community Church up in Seattle. Uh, we're just starting to get to know them as a as a meeting house, and you know they do some crazy stuff. And I just heard that they um, raised like eight hundred thousand dollars for charity water with uh, basically a big keg party. <laughs> right, nice. <laughs> like drinks for drinks. I thought that was brilliant. So I. I'm just I'm inspired by their fresh approach. So, 
yeah, that's a fantastic church. If you don't yeah. know East Lake, you really should. Um, you know, at Liquid, we do a lot of stuff with Charity Water, and it's mm. been fun to hear, you know, the stuff that they've been involved in as well. It's fantastic. So they're, yeah. uh, it's a great church. Yeah. Um, if, if you could get 15 minutes with any uh, leader alive, uh, just to kind of pick their brain, who would you want to spend that time with and why? You know, this is like the hardest question in the world, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know what, it's a little cliche, but I would say Donald Miller. And the reason is because I love what he writes. I went to the Storyline Conference in October in Nashville, which is great. And I'm in the process of, I don't even want to say I'm writing a book yet because it's still a little premature, but I am in the process <laughs> of writing a book. <laughs> and so I think he's got lots of great things to say. So I'd like to learn from him on that. Oh, this is the scoop here. Now, what? So, what is the book you're writing? I know you're not writing it, but what? Can, I'm what not really writing? writing it. Oh gosh, Rich, I'm I am I'm writing a little about transformation. Okay. The, the nice. concept of transformation, and but I'm, it's a little bit of a personal story. Some of the stuff mm -hmm. I've learned. Honestly, I don't even know what's going to happen, so we'll see. <laughs> nice. Well, when that comes out, you'll need to come back on the show so we can Done. get some people. All Done. right. So when you're not learning from people in the global south, and you're, you know, and you're, you just need to kind of relax a little yeah. bit, a little bit of Sabbath. How do you do? What do you do for fun? What What do you What do you do for fun? Yes, I'm happiest when I'm on the trail. I love to hike, which mm. is a killer now in the winter because I hate. I actually do hate hiking in winter. <laughs> right. Because I can never actually find the trail. Right. Uh, Hiking, cooking, reading, just nice. you know, hanging out with friends. Where where do you hike? Where where are you hiking? You know what? Like I'm Bruce looking trail at, kind of thing? Yep. I'm looking at my window right now. I am literally ten minutes from the trailhead of of the Bruce Trail in Ontario uh, here. So. Oh nice. Great yeah. stuff. Yeah. Well, Krista, I really appreciate you being on the show today. If people wanted to get in touch with you, uh, maybe to get on the list for your book release, uh, <laughs> or or just learn more about the meeting house, how could they do that? Yep, so you can find me, uh, well, meetinghouse.com. You mm -hmm. can find me at my email, krista.hesslink at themeetinghouse.com. Twitter, CL Hesslink. Uh, yeah, I'm around. Please, Perfect. please, please connect. <laughs> great, so that's themeetinghouse.com. Um, really appreciate you being on the show today, Krista. Have a great weekend. Yeah, thanks, Rich. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Don't be shy. We'd love to connect. Check out Unseminary Inbox. You can sign up at unseminary.com and we'll send you helpful training resources every week. Plus, you'll gain immediate access to our exclusive members area with tons of resources you can use. Connect with Rich on Twitter at Rich Birch or through email rich at unseminary.com Don't forget to check out the show notes for this episode at unseminary.com It includes links to what we talked about today and more. Leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Did you enjoy today's episode? Drop by iTunes and leave a review. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Join us next week when we'll learn more stuff we wish they taught in seminary. <laughs>